listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 124 for Monday, the 22nd of October, 2018. My guest today is Jonathan de Montfort, whose self-publishing story is a little different to most. He started his career as a hedge fund manager in London, working for companies such as Lehman Brothers and Goldman Sachs, then leaving in 2013 to set up his own hedge fund company. Jonathan is also a keen writer with an interest in literature, and it's taken him four and a half years to write his debut novel, Turner, a supernatural thriller which is scheduled for release today. It will be the first book to be published by De Montfort Literature, the company which Jonathan has set up to work with and develop authors who wish to pursue his new model of publishing. This new model for supporting authors has proven to be quite controversial in the publishing world, and we do discuss this during the interview. However, I started by speaking to Jonathan about his own author experiences and what made him write Turner after so many years working in banking. I can't exactly explain what happened, other than I think I just came to a moment of realisation that maybe I'd taken a wrong turn. And I mean, I don't know if you've heard any of my earlier stories on this one um but i actually wanted to be a novelist when i was in my teen teenage years in fact that was when i came up with the idea for the book that's about to go out the door and i said to my parents you know i i, I want to be a novelist having been asked the question what do you want to do and they said well you could do that or you could get a real job and fortunately i was pretty good with numbers and with computers and so i followed a career down that line uh, and ultimately into banking but i think having done it for a very long time and, and I, you know there have been moments where i've really enjoyed it uh, perhaps it was the moments when i was at goldman sachs i think if, i think that was probably when it was which was a very difficult moment in my life and maybe under that kind of duress i just sort of realized that I'd, perhaps I'd taken a wrong turn and that I should do something I really enjoy. And I had this idea just sort of flashed to me and it and it, remi- it was a reminder really of what I'd thought about when I was a kid, which was this idea for a story and uh, called Turner's Chess Game. And it so happened it was coming up to my birthday. I had left Goldman's and I was setting up De Montfort Capital. And it was, it was coming to my birthday. I'd, I'd met this girl called Daisy like some, some years before. We were really good friends. She had actually gone off to, she, I met her while she was at RADA and she'd gone off and she was doing some writing. She was working on a script uh, that she, she thought looked really promising and was trying to sell it to some production studios. And uh, she was asking me what I was doing. I said, well, I, you know, I've set up the hedge fund. I'm running the hedge fund, uh, but I've had this idea for a story I had when I was a kid. And she asked me about it and I told her, you know, what it was all about. And she, she just looked at me and said, you should write that. You, you really should. And that's coming from a professional opinion. And obviously being a friend, I said, look, you know, we're good friends. You, you're probably just pulling my chain. And she said, no, this is, this is my business. You should write that. You'd be an idiot if you don't. Uh, I'm editing the, the language used, but um, <laughs> that's essentially what she said. So I, I embarked upon a journey to, to write that novel. And what's interesting is Daisy went on to write her script. She sold it, I think, and it went on to the BBC, it went on to BBC Three. It's called This Country. And it's won BAFTAs, I think, or something along these lines uh, for, you know, for sort of this 
strange this kind of comedy about the West Country, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's a strange story, isn't it? I, I, you know, it's just a strange thing. And one of the reasons I wanted to get Turner out 1st of August uh, because it was exactly five years later, uh, but we just, we, you know, just as I say, we've missed that date. But nevertheless, it is approximately five years to to that moment where she convinced me that I should write this story. Fantastic. Now, I, I watch this country and I think it's excellent writing. So if it came from that writer, that's fantastic. It took you four and a half years to write the first book. That's a long time. You know, some marriages don't last that long. So right. what took you so long? Okay. So firstly, I was I was not doing it full time. I was running a hedge fund during that period. And that's that's hard work, you know. And I know people like to give bankers a hard time and that's probably deserved in many cases. But I will say that bankers do work very hard. It isn't just sitting around in a nice leather chair with a with a cognac and a cigar calling your friends on the phone, hoping to sell them some stuff. Um, it really is very hard work. You know, when you come home at the end of a sort of 10 or 15, anywhere between a 10 and 15 hour day, you know, you've been at work and the only thing you want to do quite often is just collapse onto a sofa. And so a, a lot of it was just sort of recovery. But the big part in the writing is that it actually took me a long time to learn how to write. And that's the biggest thing that I do. And also the process of writing, which you need to understand. And this is one of the things that, that I'm looking to help other writers with right from the outset you really need to spend some time plotting your book now i was very fortunate because i think when we first start to write what happens is you have these images in your mind or this feeling or something uh some story or some scene that you want to write and so you just get into it really inspired writing and so you go and write your scenes and you kind of do this but without any kind of understanding of structure or where you're going but very fortunate i was doing this very fortunately though Quite early on in the process, I just did a bullet point list of how I was going to get the hero from sort of being 13 years old to the end of the story and all of the little scenes that I'd, I'd done in between. But I did a lot of these sorts of scenes, some of which I even I even wrote whilst I was on the tube on the way home, I think, because I was living in London. But luckily I did that. And I think that that probably saved me quite a lot of time. But realistically, you need to do a lot more time in in, in the plotting. So that was the first thing is probably was just that lack of structure. The second thing was just the sheer amount of rewriting that had to be done, which is actually linked to the plotting because I wrote scenes that ultimately ended up just being taken out, just thousands and thousands of words. And whilst the final draft of Turner is, uh, the final production version is 103,500 words, I think, I must have written about 600,000 words or so uh, with the various different versions, the various different sort of story elements that I put in and took out, then the different routes that I was going to take and the whole different just nature, as it were, of uh, of the story changed from being uh, originally it was, it was going to be three books just about one person. Uh, and it would be the first book would be entirely based in his school days and would be about what I called the subtle oppression of being different because this is a, a essentially a person with a special ability and he was going to have to spend all of his days really hiding that from other people and you know I was drawing quite direct comparisons to what it must probably be like to be gay or something like this so it was it was along that you know you'd, you'd be constantly aware of your language of your the way you acted and and this is still prevalent I, I appreciate attitudes have changed since I was at school but nevertheless there is still a certain level of stigma attached and and so that's really what it was originally about. But um, unfortunately, that version of the of the story was rather boring. And 
I don't think many people would have really been that interesting. And so a lot of that work just got taken out and we made a much more exciting book, which actually people have really enjoyed. But the point I'd say there is that it meant that a lot of the writing I was doing, because I was doing it off inspiration rather than from a plot, it just took a very long time to write those scenes. Whereas if you just do it off a plot where you've got a paragraph for each bit, then, you know, you can move that stuff around and just realize, no, this story isn't going anywhere uh, very early on and just save yourself a lot of time. Where did you go to find out about actual writing craft? You know, you referred to we when you were answering that question. Did you have somebody to as a, use as a soundboard for all of this? Yes. I didn't go down the traditional route of doing creative writing classes. Uh, I did a little bit of that kind of stuff, but not, not really, because I felt that it wasn't very efficient and it wasn't a good use of my time, not least of which because I could hardly ever make the times when they wanted me to be there. So I actually had a writing coach who worked with me every day as a mentor, if you will, and help me with story, help me with plotting, help me with, with my writing style. And so that's how I did it. And that's a much more expensive way to go, uh, but it is very effective. And had I actually been able to firstly not waste a couple of years prior to that point, but also if I'd been able to do it full time with a writing coach available whenever I needed and, and a mentor when I needed, I think actually I could have got Turner probably done in about a year, maybe two at the absolute outside. Were you a great writer when you started or did you become one as a result of the oh. coaching process? Oh, no, I, I became much better. But it is a weird process. I probably was always a good storyteller, but that's different. So I, you know, and actually a lot of the people I worked with, the story coaches, the, 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 sorry, the writing coaches, and they were really shocked because it, Turner wasn't the only idea I had. I had a couple of others and I would be talking about these other ideas and they were shocked at the nature and the structure of those stories that they just seemed to follow this pattern that really just, you know, it's like the three act structure. It just naturally drew the listener in this case or the reader in so they i think i was always naturally a good storyteller but the writing side um that's the, the skill of getting the words on the page and building that world that world for the for the reader that's a strange process part of it was having a mentor with me but one of the things that the mentors did they they would recommend books for me to read and by books i don't i mean yes you know you've got things like the hero of a thousand faces and the writer's journey and things like this yes sure you have these sorts of works but it was more you know you should read stephen king uh, and peter strauss the talisman that was one of the first novels i i, I read by stephen king and then they say oh you maybe you should read this one and actually you should read um the handmaid's tale and it, actually the handmaid's tale was the, the book for me that taught me how to write. If I was going to pick one moment in my life out, that would have been it. I read that book and the use of metaphor and simile was so stunning uh, and beautiful that I tried to replicate it, which, which I did. Uh, and actually, I have to say, one of my many nicknames, I guess, in, in banking was the Borg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a Star Trek uh, reference, yeah. A Star Trek reference. And for two reasons. Number one, I think people thought I was a machine. But two, because I was able to assimilate things very very quickly and so I saw The Handmaid's Tale and I kind of assimilated the writing style and that led to a much much better writing style that really kind of blew the editors away they, they were trying to work out what had happened to me over the weekend and uh, I told them uh, but it did lead obviously to me to me uh, writing purple pro so I had to rein it in a little bit you know um <laughs> after that but that happens that's that's the process you go from nothing to a lot and then maybe you go back halfway and then you kind of gradually find your voice and your style that really suits the way you want to write when you started writing this book did you have any idea where you were heading with it in terms of getting it published and out there I'd always imagined that 
you know, it would be something that I would get published. And in fact, you know, I was in talks with another publisher to actually get it out the door, um, to actually publish it, you know, the, the kind of the traditional method. But just the whole process to me just seemed firstly very random. And secondly, I didn't really feel, I mean, okay, it's, it's probably a good way to go if you can get your book into the stores and market it properly. But it just seemed to me that publishers today are not really putting much effort into new authors. You know, it's kind of luck that, you know, whether or not you're actually going to get seen by anybody, it seems. I mean, sometimes they do. They really put a lot of, a lot of power behind it, but that just didn't seem to be the case. And I just felt that there were probably better ways to do it. And I had this idea, well, you know, it just seems to me that writing is one of the only professions in the world, which is really, really important. And when I say writing, I mean being a novelist, which actually is really important. It's a, a form of media that a lot of people enjoy. It's a massive business. And yet it seems to me to be almost completely amateur uh, in so much as nobody gets paid unless you, you're right at the very, very top. I mean, it's much worse than banking in terms of the disparity of pay between the, sort of the bottom and the top. And, you know, obviously the people at the top are, are, are going to rein it in as much as they can. And, and why not? They've probably gone through a lot of hard years. But it just seemed to me that that's a very, very bad way to go about writing it. It, it is a professional pursuit. It's very difficult to write, you know, just four hours a day, you know, and, and be able to get it and be able to get your books out of the door and just be able to get them written. Um, that's just very difficult. So you end up with mostly bad works arriving on a publisher's desk um, because they have been written part-time and that's kind of clogging up the feed and it's not just that now is it I mean you've now got obviously the whole self-publishing industry which where people can just bypass that altogether and just put their books up onto Amazon without even having having had them copy edited or anything and and as a result there's just hundreds of these things out there no that's not that's not even true it's millions of these things out there and Publishers just, they can't get to good works anymore. So it's, you know, and obviously I've got personal experience with that now. So I think it's, yeah, I mean, so the plan really was to go traditional originally, but about halfway through the process, um, I had this idea and origin and I was still going to go down the traditional publishing route. We're doing that. But then capital, uh, De Montfort Capital said, look, by that, I mean the people there <laughs> rather than the company. Hmm. They said, look, we really like that idea about paying authors. We think that can work because it gives us a lot of, that gives us a lot of free play on, on things that traditional publishers wouldn't have. And so they put this plan together for how it was going to work. We had this algorithm that just bizarrely I'd put together years before that was completely useless, but kind of a bit of fun. And we could immediately see that we could use that algorithm. But more importantly, of course, they had a book that they could sell on day one, which, of course, is really important for the firm in order to test all the systems. And, you know, it's good for me, isn't it? <laughs> well, we'll dig into De Montfort literature in a moment. I do want to make sure we keep this focus on you as a writer as well. So sure. 103,000 words for a book, that, that's generally not what people start out at. That's quite a hike, producing a 103,000 word book. Having gone through that process now, what kind of have you learned? If you started work on number two, have you started work on number two yet? I didn't ask you that. Yes, uh, in fact, um, but it's not number two in the Turner series. It's just a completely, at the moment, the ones that we're working on are completely new stories. I mean, obviously, if Turner sells very well, then I'll, I'll start the, the works on Turner's two and three, you know, straight away. But I think I plotted out different books, which were just, I felt very, very interesting. And so I, I yeah, it, what, would I, what would I take through to, the, to, to my new books, I think, is the question. Yes. Firstly, I just start with plotting and I spend a lot of time with plotting 
um, right the way through till I've got basically a journalist account, as I call it, which is a very kind of short bullet point. He did this, she did that, she said this, and she felt that or, or whatever. And it's very, very, very quick. And once you've got that, then from there, it's a very short walk to actually writing it. And you just don't waste any time, but you make sure you get that structure right. And I would say spend all of your time, you know, with the plotting, which we've already done. So the plot lines have already done for, for my next two books. The whole plots have been done and it's a case now just sitting down and writing them. In terms of 103,000 words, uh, how far have I come in terms of that? Well, actually, when I first started writing and you start with sort of a blank page because you've got no plot, whereas of course I don't start like that now you 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 really you think you look at the numbers on the internet and uh, you need to write 80,000 words for it to be a novel to be even considered to be a novel and I was thinking how the hell am I going to write 80,000 words by the time I got to the end of Turner it was really a case of getting it below 100,000 that was going to be the challenge and obviously we failed in that challenge but um I felt that pretty much every word in it is a necessary word. And that's kind of where you need to be with that type of book, I think. And did you never consider self-publishing at all as, a, as an option? I, I certainly considered it, it's, but it's a very, very difficult task. If I was going to do it, then I would definitely do it the way that, that I probably have done it, wouldn't I? I mean, you know, I'd set up a proper company to actually do it. But it, it had occurred to me to do it that way. But one of the things that really gave me some hope in the self-publishing business, I suppose, if that's the way you're going to go, was that a friend of mine's wife became a writer and she started out in self-publishing. And self-publishing is a great place to start if you can't get a publishing deal. Because, and, and to be fair, I think it's pretty much the only place you can now start as an author because if you can go to a publisher saying, look, I've got this number of fans, I've sold this number of books, that's a big, big win to any agent or to any publisher right out, right out of the blocks. So it is a good place to start. So it did occur to me to go down that line. But if you are going to do that, you do need to be getting out a book a year or even sometimes two books a year. So you need to think about that. Um, and that kind of leads me back to, it. you know, you kind of need to be in a, in a, it's almost like a full-time job at that point, isn't it? Because to, to get a book a year out, that that takes some work. I mean, I think you can actually, if you do it full-time, you can get one out in about six months if it's if it's kind of something which you've got a really good idea about and you're very good at coming up with the ideas. I would say taking sort of, you know, more than that, you, if you're self-publishing, you don't really want to be doing that because you need for a long time. And it, it took a good five, five or six, even maybe 10 years. But by the time, maybe about five years, she, she got about 10 books out. And by the time she got to book 10, she sold a million copies uh, in total. That's 100,000 copies a book. That's a lot of, that's a lot of copies right there. That's going to, that's going to be okay. But she understood her market very, very well. She marketed that very, very well. I mean, every single one of her stories is called The Girl Who or The Girl That or The Girl Which or, and so on. And it was right after The Girl on the Train had come out, you see. So she understood what she was doing there and she went for it. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of authors miss is that you, you know, it's all, I think quite often authors start out and they have this beautiful work in their mind, but it's, you know, it's probably really weird and nobody's going to read it. And if you actually want to sell books, if that's what, if that's your aim uh, is to sell books and to get, and to get out there, then you have to start writing stuff that people actually want to read. And that means you've got to do a bit of research as to what people want to read. That's one of the advantages of, of publishers, by the way, is that publishers have that information. Um, they have all that information through literary scouts by by basically buying data about who's buying what, what are people interested in, doing focus groups, doing market research. And that's the advantage they have over you, really. There's nothing more to it than that. 
most authors, especially self-published ones, are not going to be able to afford that uh, because I can assure you it's very expensive. But if you know the market you're aiming at and you just go for it, then you can do very, very well. And she proved that. Now, as a self-published author, I know that once you finish the book, it's only just begun in that you've got to get an edit, you've got to get a proof, you know, copy edits, which you've alluded to as well. But you've also got to think about covers and the cover often sells the book. And, uh, you know, and you've got to get the thing ready to ship. So what did that look like for you? Well, luckily, I had a, a good team helping me there. I outsource all of that stuff. Uh, and I strongly advise everybody else does that. Uh, one thing I would say, and this would be perhaps a recommendation for authors, is you need to let your book go and understand your your part in the process of of that book. I understand it's self publishing, and a lot of a lot of um, a lot of authors they want complete control over their book. I want it to look like this, and I want it to be doing this way. Uh, my advice to you, genuinely, is to let that go and understand that your part of it is the writing is the story that's the most important part but unless you're a marketing guru and you're a creative design guru then it's probably best to let those guys just do that part of it for you and i have to say because the way i wanted turner to look is very different than the way it ended up looking and i am really really glad that i let the creative design agency do their job and virtually everybody when i've shown them the two pictures side by side of the way i wanted to, to look versus the way it ended up have said, yeah, you, do, you made the right choice there. And I think, of course, that's going to be the case. Let experts do their job. So so that's what I did from the from the cover design, from the shipping and everything else. Well, there's people that do this. We, you know, De Montfort Literature has Macmillan as the distributor here in the UK and Europe and Ingram's for pretty much everywhere else. I mean, these are two of the largest distributors in the world. Now, again, that's the advantage of running a publishing house is that you can you can quite often get those sorts of deals done which you can't necessarily get done as a, as a self-published person because you know they're not they're not going to be interested in selling you know your, your books your kind of one book per year they're looking ultimately to be to be doing sort of 10 15 titles from a from a publishing house per year at least uh, and you have to remember this is something which the sales guys told me from day one they said you know most titles that we sell uh, fictional titles. They sell between about 5,000 copies and about 500. And that's about it. And that's most, and that's, these are professionals doing this. So the self-publishing industry, quite often I suspect, you know, you're not going to sell too many. So it, it's a very, very difficult task. Um, but luckily I do have professionals that are doing that. You know, you have to work very, very hard at the marketing too. And again, that's extremely hard. Again, we have a, a team of marketing people who 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 do that and are very very good at it you know uh in terms of just getting getting the book you know the book out there in in front of as many people as you can you're the first writer i've spoken to who had a writing coach a dedicated writing coach so i'm wondering whether you went through the same self-doubts did you ever think about throwing the towel in you know with frustration or or was it like having somebody sort of shouting from the sidelines all the time um well I, of course, I had self-doubts. I mean, I, I kept on asking people. One of the things that I've always said is that anybody who works with me, and this is going to work, this is the way it's going to be for any authors that come on the De Montfort Literature Programme, as much as it did for people working with me on the Turner Project. Uh, but any project that people, that any yeah, any project that people come to work for me on, you have to want to work on that project. You have to see that it's going to work and not worry about the money. So I said to people, right up front do you think this has got legs and the professionals are saying yes this definitely is a story that will sell 
uh, you should write it. And so that did, you know, but yes, of course, I was thinking, are you sure though? And there've been many times I'm like, do you know, did I use the right word there? Did I, is that sentence structured correctly? And look, some some reviewers, some editors will pick up on stuff like that. Most people won't, and you, should, you need to know that. So, but of course, I had those kind of self doubts about: should I do this scene? Is this is this scene necessary? Was I right to take that out? You know, have, have I gone the right way with this? Oh, maybe I should have done this. Yeah, of course, I was doing that all the time. Did I ever think about giving up on it? No, no, I didn't. I always knew I would eventually finish it. And I'm really glad that I did. And actually, it is pretty much the longest singular project I've ever worked on, you know, a continuous five years uh, and to get to the end of it and actually have a book in my hands that is finished. And, you know, uh, we have this um, um, sort of it's called a widget, but it's it's basically a look inside type thing for the book. And it, it's got the first four chapters and there's the the a clip from the audio book is in there and some of the. The, the video trailers and then there's a sort of 17 minute video of me talking about how I came up with some of the ideas for the book and some of the alternative routes I could have gone down. And I, we, we made this thing and, you know, in readiness for the marketing to start. And so I had this thing and I, I put it onto my, my Facebook page, uh, my author Facebook page and just pinned it to the top just so that when the marketing started, if people ever did come to my Facebook page, they would see that at the top and people would be able to have a quick look at the book. But actually what happened was somebody took a look at it and said, this is really, really good uh, and started sharing it on social media. And then people, other people reading it started saying, this is really, really good and you should read this. And as more and more people have, have, have read those first four chapters, more, like the orders just went, the pre-orders went through the roof. So it's, it's a good idea to sort of share your work, I think. Not all of it, obviously. And I think the idea of giving your work away for free or having people pay a pound for it is, if you're going to do that, perhaps you're in the wrong industry. If that's how you value your work. It's, for me, the, the, the effort, the energy that went into to, to creating Turner, there were moments in there um, and I have to be very careful because the book came from a place inside my soul that was so deep. Um, many, many times I've, I very nearly vomited whilst writing it. And even when I talk about some of those scenes, you can see it's in, in the 17 minute video that I did. And I, I nearly burst into tears. Luckily I kept it together whilst talking about some of those scenes. And if you think about the effort and, and emotional energy you spend on a book, if you're selling it for a pound, I think you're massively unselling yourself. And, and maybe you should consider doing something else. Books are valuable. They take people to places they don't ordinarily go. They, they help people to have emotional connections and experiences with people they'll never meet. And on a much deeper level, quite frankly, than they might do with people in the real world, most, mostly because a book can tell you, can make you feel the way that someone else feels, can make you understand the way that they think. It can help you to understand what the mind of a misogynist looks like and help you to understand that type of person better. And that, I think, brings us all closer together. Books are valuable and we should, we should treat them with the respect that they deserve. Now... Uh, you've got to promise me that you'll release your book on 22nd of October when this interview <laughs> runs, okay? Because <laughs> I'm committing you to this now. Um, I, I want to know what the marketing's going to look like for the book when you release it. What have you got, you know, planned to get it out there? Well, some of it uh, has already been done. Um, you've seen probably some of the little video trailers. So there's a story that there's a sort of story that's going to be told on social media. We've got something that's going to go in the real world as well, uh, and that that story is then going to to sort of get out there. The real 
sort of clever part about it, which unfortunately I can't talk about it because it's, it's, it's uh, confidential, I'm afraid, but it's the way they're going to promote it on in the social media and the real world channels. Uh, but I think that you know, what we've done so far has obviously been very, very effective. I mean, we have spent a, a sum total of £20 marketing marketing uh, Turner so far, uh, and we've had a lot of orders. So it tells me that it's, it's ready to go. But one of the things I always say to people is if you're an unknown author, it's a bad idea to, to, to hope for pre-orders because nobody knows who you are. If you're Stephen King, they'll pre-order your book and just hold on to it until it comes out. Um, but quite often, if you're doing some marketing, you go, oh, that looks like a great book. And they go to buy and it's pre-order, then uh, maybe I'll come back. And then they, ne they never will. And it's better just to have that book ready to go and ready to get into that person's hands as quick as you can. That was one of Amazon's biggest tricks was to get a book into someone's hands very quickly. And how confident are you feeling about that launch? Because that really lets it out into the wild now, doesn't it? I'm feeling a lot more confident now than I was. Obviously, when I first did it and I, and it, I first put it out there, obviously there's the advanced copies. One of the things that we do at DML is... Um, we have focus groups and, you know, we, we get the book out to reviewers and th there's, there's, a, there's, there's a number of different reviews obviously you want. You, ultimately, of course, you want the, the, the national press to look at your book if you can, um, but you'll need to get it through a process to get it, you know, so that they'll take a look. And so far, we, the focus group, Turner absolutely blew their socks off. It really blew them away. Uh, they, I mean, they, it, they said, they were saying things like, um, <laughs> it was a story they were never going to forget and things like this. And as you can probably tell, I mean, that, that makes me incredibly happy uh, simply because to have put five years of effort into something and to have some doubts about, oh, did I do it right? You know, is it, is it exactly as it should be? And then people to validate the hard work you put in, it, it really means quite a lot, I have to say. Um, so I'm a lot more confident. It's It's been put past some very serious reviewers who, are saying it is very well written and it's a really good story and there are there is the potential that um, they might use it as an example of modern day they call it gothic horror but i mean gothic horror tends to imply vampires and things like this but you should understand that the matrix is gothic horror uh, and star wars is technically gothic horror and things like this because of the nature of the storyline you know it's it's kind of in that sort of ballpark but that that made me feel very happy that that i've written something that would actually get noticed like that and you know the advanced copies have gone out people at the feedback we've been getting has been absolutely amazing and and i'm really happy with that 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 really has made my 5 years <laughs> <laughs> i'm interested to know what that feeling of being a writer of holding the book in in your hands and and that sort of excitement about a launch how does that compare to your life as a banker <laughs> it's great i mean i was actually going to do a little picture of me holding the book in my arms like a baby or something <laughs> because that's kind of how it feels i have to say it really feels absolutely amazing to to have brought something into the world that you know is entirely a creation of your own mind and actually brings so far uh, has brought you know uh, joy I suppose um, you know it has brought a real sense of joy and thrill it's thrilled people it's made people wince um, it's made them laugh uh, to, have, to have brought something to the world that's done that to you know and helped maybe improve humanity a little bit that that has made me feel amazing because nothing I did in banking could ever possibly be said to have improved humanity at all um it's not to say look banking is a very important function of our society i should point this out i mean without banking you don't have pensions and you don't have insurance 
um, and you don't have mortgages. So it's well worth noting that the banking is necessary, but it is basically moving money around and and taking a little bit for yourself whilst you do it. Uh, that it completely must be boiled down to that, and. There's nothing really to be said about that. You're not really doing anything. You're not bringing anything to the world. You're not creating anything. You're not adding value in any real way. Whereas creating a book really gave me a sense of of purpose, of bringing something wonderful into the world. That, that and I, at least I hope wonderful. But so far, the feedback's been good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even J.K. Rowling gets one star reviews. I'm just wondering, how are you like? I mean, if you get bad feedback, are you fairly resilient to that sort of thing? I certainly am, um, but that's from from years of being in banking. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, nearly twenty years in banking. I mean, I, my, th- my my skin is so thick. I'm basically nothing but skin now. Um, but uh, yeah, my staff are a little bit a little bit more thin skinned, and so I do feel for them a little bit. You know, when we get sort of bad comments about what you know, about DML or something like that. So I'm sure. I'm sure pe- I'm sure there's going to be people when it comes to the book, they're going to sort of say, oh, I hate this book and it should be used as toilet paper or something along these lines. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's people. Sometimes people say things just because they want to be mean and they want to be disparaging. And that's something that I've, I've very much learned but DML especially has taught me is some people just want to be mean. And I think you just have to ignore those people. Even if you block those people, I think, you know, they'll go off and just carry on. You're just being mean. And I think, well, that's just the world we live in. It's sad, but that's that's people for you. <laughs> well, let, let, let's talk about demand for literature then, because uh, I've been holding off this so far. And I, I, I did want to I just did want to congratulate you about your book, because, I, I you know, I've been following demand for literature. I saw it pop up. I can't remember how long ago now. And I thought well, that's interesting. I'll, I'll have a look at that. And um, you, you've taken quite a lot of flack and criticism for that. And I did just want to take, you know, a minute out to say congratulations. You've written your first book and it's being launched today. So well done. Brilliant. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, I, I really do appreciate it. And, and it's nice that someone has congratulated me. Luckily, a few people have actually congratulated me behind the scenes. There are The, the one thing I, that, again, DML has, has taught me, uh, it's not all bad. There are some really genuinely wonderful people out there. I mean, genuinely wonderful. And they need, they need the help of somebody like myself who can help them because they, they can't, they can't help themselves. That's what DML is really all about. So when you see people being disparaging about this idea just because we're a bit slow to respond or because they don't like the look of the terms and conditions, rather than picking up the phone or getting on email and saying, oh, you know, can you talk to me a bit more about the terms? Uh, I'm actually very open for people to call me. Uh, and, you know, if you, if you catch me at the right time, I can't be on the phone all day long. <laughs> you know, I do have things to do. But I've, I spoke to somebody earlier today and explained why things were taking as long as they were, that it's a publishing house. We have to set up the infrastructure. We have to set up the sales, marketing, um, and distribution channels. And that's not just about making a deal with the likes of Macmillan and Ingrams. That's also about testing it out, um, finding out what the delays are. One of the things that we've discovered is that the publishing moves along at pretty much a glacial pace. Um, in many ways, it's kind of stuck in the Stone Age, but in other ways, it's, it's actually very advanced. And so trying to sort of navigate that uh, is really important because the one thing I want to do, one of the main reasons I'm putting Turner out through the system right now is because, you know, we've had to put back 
the publication date a few times. And, you know, that's because of unexpected delays, unexpected production problems, and, and just, just general things that we, you know, we didn't realize were going to happen. But now we understand what the workflow is, why it looks like that, how long this actually takes, what is the absolutely longest time it takes. One thing, for example, we didn't know is that it takes three weeks from the moment we upload the, um, the digital publication for it to be distributed around the world. It takes about a week from the moment that the book arrives at... Um, the distribution warehouse it takes about a week from there to arrive in all the bookstores and it's not considered published until it's in all the bookstores so it's it's just a very very odd sort of business so a lot of people the reason why i wanted to get turnaround was to get all of that stuff understood we have a, an absolutely rock solid bulletproof workflow so that when authors come on come on the program and when their books are going out the door they don't have to suffer the unbelievable frustration that i've had in the last sort of whatever it is, six, seven, eight months, I guess. So in fact, it's been a bit longer than that, I guess, because we've been setting up DML from before the moment where we launched. It, you know, so it is it is, dispar- it, it is slightly annoying when people are disparaging because we are genuinely trying to help authors. And everybody, you know, not everybody, some people understand that we are genuinely trying to help you. But I think a few people, you know, are suggesting that because I'm a banker, somehow I'm, I'm trying to rip people off. But I'd, I'd be very entertained to hear how I can pay you £24,000 a year for being a novelist when the average pay of a novelist is £12,000 per year. That's the average, which includes people like Stephen King and J.K. Rowling. So actually, most authors earn about nothing. Um, so how I could rip someone off in that scenario. But there's so much stuff going on behind the scenes. If you get a breakout novel, you know, you'll be paid very, very well. And we have contacts here to get you much more than just a publication deal. That's kind of, you know, that's the stuff that people aren't seeing. It's those sorts of things that we are setting up. And that's why things are taking so long. And I would rather that we just get a bit of PR, a bit of a PR disaster here and there where people are getting frustrated and hitting us a bit online and people, I, I take it, being banned from, from our page. We'll have to just take that hit. And in the short term, because I think in about a year's time, a year and a half's time, when those books start coming out and you start hearing the stories of these uh, of these authors who will tell you, you know, how we treated them, you know, how we kept our word uh, and how it all works. And you see their books go out there and hopefully one or two of them will have a breakout and they'll, you know, they'll really sell some, you know, some number of books and they'll start getting their royalties and we'll link them up to the people they need to, to be linked up to to make that go a lot further. When people start seeing that, I'll tell you now, it isn't going to be thousands of applicants to the program. It's going to be hundreds of thousands. Well, I, and- I'm going to admit that I, I'm, I'm an enthusiast. When I saw it, I thought, well, that's just Dragon's Den for writers. Uh, it's, it's effectively, you know, Duncan Bannatyne saying, I back you and the business, the business being writing books. Uh, I'm going to put some of my money in. And, for, and I deserve a return for that. Of course I do. I'm, I'm betting on a horse, effectively. And the horse might turn out to be a donkey. You're taking all that risk with this. Yeah, people seem to uh, to forget. Well, not, again, it's not people. That's wrong to say that. It's only a very small number, like 10, 20 percent, I would say, at most, who who just they're looking for the catch. And the, the only catch is on my side. You know, the thing is, I, what a lot of people don't know is that because, um, you know, th- it's out there in the public that, oh, is this guy just uh, doing this this announcement about demand for literature <clears throat> so that he can sell you know, his own novel and, and get a get a big sort of publicity splash about it. Well, I'll tell you what, if that is the reason, then I'm going about it the wrong way because the amount of money I put into DML so far, if I just put that into marketing my book, I would have done much better. That let, let me let that be clear. But much but going beyond that, 
all of the profits from Turner are going to the DMR program. Not one penny is coming to me. I don't need the money, okay? But authors need the money. I'm trying to help them to get off, get you know, get off their knees essentially, stand back on their feet, and help them to to get these beautiful stories out into the world because they're not, they're never going to get seen. They're never going to get heard um, without a program like this. That's why it is so rigorous. It's why it's taking so long. The algorithm is extremely clever. It is. It's an AI algorithm. Uh, it's not limited to your to your to your application that you send to us it can go out and find you on social media so you should be careful that's all i would say okay i'm really interested in this algorithm i know it's created a lot of interest hasn't it this algorithm i was thinking about it before we were chatting and i was thinking well really what can what can an algorithm do it can scan your application for the kind of words that you use perhaps it can go out on social media and see how you present yourself and what your followers are what your platform is and i thought well what you know am i missing something that's pretty well all it could do isn't it well, it can do that. Um, certainly stage one um, is a fairly simplistic part of the algorithm. The fact of the matter is, if you're the kind of person who's got a lot of ideas and you can back those ideas up uh, in a conversation. So what I would say to people is don't put ideas on your application if you can't speak to us for maybe 10 minutes about them, maybe 15. Um, because we are going to grill you about your ideas if you make it to the interview, I'll tell you now. Uh, you know, we're going to go you're going to, we're going to go through it because we're going to look at the commercial aspect of how you think as a person, how you think as a writer. But we really want to try to filter that down as much as we possibly can. And the algorithm does a lot of that. So if you've got a lot of ideas, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing for us. Um, yes, the AI is extremely clever now, uh, especially when it comes to language use, where it can actually tell whether you're being negative uh, or positive generally in your posts. And <clears throat> there are some very key behavioral characteristics that differentiate typically very good writers from typically kind of mediocre ones or or worse. And it is able to find those things. And so far, the Argo, I think, made it. No, it has not even made one mistake. One of our agents made a mistake um, and accidentally put someone under reject and it should have been on hold. So uh, that got reversed, which was fine. So the algorithm has always been correct about people so far. It makes a, it makes a prediction about the type of person they probably are. Um, it states you know, this is this is a on hold, reject or accept for for stage two, uh, and then our, the team just looks over it and and sees whether or not it agrees. And sometimes we do overturn a decision because we want to give people a chance. So what we do is say, oh, I see the reason why. For example, the re- it might say the reason why I'm rejecting this one. They don't have enough good ideas. So we would then get in contact with the person and say, look, have you genuinely put down all the ideas you have? Uh, because if you haven't, put a couple more on. Just, just put them on. Just be, you know, be bold. Uh, but do please, please understand you're going to get grilled on them later on. So make sure they are really ideas that you, you could talk about. Um, it will be things like that. We want you to get through to stage two. Psychometrics is really where it's at. That part of it, you can't – I know I've, I've seen it all. You know, I've seen these forms. Oh, yeah, you can beat the psychometric test. This is how. Well, yeah, sure, if you know what the psychometrics – test is looking for um but well we're not looking for what normal people are looking for i don't think famous people and really really great writers like stephen king or jk rowling are normal in in any real sense of, of the word by normal i mean like everybody else of course they're different not everybody can be a great writer that is a fact and i will tell you just looking at the applications as they come in i think the people is going to we're talking one in a thousand uh, it looks like that type of ratio and that kind of makes sense if you think about it you know, you only have to take a quick skim of all the books online to sort of see, well, actually, you know, I don't just mean, is it well written? But, it, you know, because remember, 
we're talking about commercial writing. I mean, that's really the sort of genre that we're talking about if we're going to have a genre. And that's different from sort of, say, literary fiction or something along these lines, which is quite often beautiful writing, but about nothing. Um, if you can do a if you could, one of the things that's actually happening right now, and one of the comments about um, Turner even was that it's quite, it's quite literary in its construction of words. So it's quite beautifully written, but actually it is a thriller. And this seems to be the new genre that, that's coming along right now. You're seeing a lot of people doing these literary, literary thriller types. And I think if you can get that, that working, for example, then, you know, you can do very, very well. So it's the algorithm looks beyond just, just that kind of little, that sort of thing. It's, it's more a mentality. Famous people and very good writers have a very particular uh, mentality. They don't have a tendency, for example, to go around criticizing people. Uh, you might uh, argue the case on J.K. Rowling on that one, but you know, in general, you wouldn't see that in them. They tend to be really lovely people. Uh, they tend to be, you know, I mean, even uh, even if you think about what Stephen King said about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, I mean, he said, yeah, you know, it could have been written better, but you know, there's some two-dimensional characters in there, but the sex scenes are amazing. Uh, <laughs> right? He found something good to say about it, and that tells you a lot about a person if they if they can do that because you know a lot of people have been very disparaging about that book i think you know it's and, and that's just one hint uh, but you know how can i come across as a nice person <laughs> well that's not the only thing it's looking for one thing you don't want to do of course is lie because if you do that it will definitely pick that up um, i think it's fascinating and this is this is a hint of the future i know you're into blockchain I, i'm hugely into sort of crypto and blockchain and what that yes. can do as well so you know to me this is a, a glimpse of a future I, i've got to ask you though have you run yourself through the algorithm yes and 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 uh i hope to be the next british the next stephen king, the british <laughs> stephen, i want to be known as the british stephen king there you go uh, you heard it here first um yeah i mean i think that i do have those characteristics oddly uh, and it's not, I think, the, the algorithm told me I had those characteristics. And virtually everybody I've met in the writing industry has, has said, you know, wow, you know, you just come up with these ideas and they're just absolutely stunning. How the hell do you do that? I mean, you spent five, ten minutes doing that. And, you know, I came up, I've got two books next year, which we plan to put out if we're not going to put out the next Turners. The first one is codenamed Hammer. And the second one is codenamed S9. And... I, I had the ideas for them, you know, while walking down the street or something. And I, I very quickly wrote them down and I put them in front of the story people. And they're like, how the hell do you do this? I can't believe you can do that. How did you do that? And and I just think that some people will never know. It's very, it's very yeah, very interesting, this. Um, now, uh, it's worth us just saying, as I'm talking to you now, for those people who have applied and, and are waiting what what is the process when when is the you know when is the sausage machine going to start grinding people out right so i mean it depends on what you mean by that um so what are they people, here so, so people are hearing back uh, at an, an accelerating rate from the algorithm you know it has been a bit of a nightmare it keep telling me oh it's going to be two weeks it's going to be two weeks uh and it's it's just hasn't been two weeks has it i mean it's been a lot longer but i think that um, it is accelerating. We've started getting back to a lot of people. We've got back to about, you know, about half of the people there. Unfortunately, the half that haven't been got back to are really annoyed. One of the biggest problems that we had was people who are borderline. And the algorithm would go into this weird state where it, it couldn't decide. And I'm, I like to be nice. I, I want to get people through the program. I don't want to say to the algorithm, look, if you can't decide, it's no. But in the end, we kind of had to do that. <laughs> we just had to say, if, if we can't decide, it's no. Because if, if it was definitely yes, 
we would just be definitely yes. And so um, it would go into this weird wait state. And so we, 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 we have a bunch of applications where it's it just it's stuck. And that was slowing the whole algorithm down. So we're working very hard on making sure that doesn't happen. If, if it can't decide, it's no. Another thing that was happening was just a, a, a kind of weird facet of the way the IT system was put together. I mean, one of the things I could have done was spent 15, 20 grand on a really perfect, slick um, application system. And if I'd spent, if I'd done that, that would mean I'd have to help a lot less authors right from the bat, right, right off the bat. You, you know, I, I would be helping maybe, you know, if, if, if to make it really slick and work absolutely perfectly well, I think might have cost as much as 100k because it would be custom built. It would do exactly what I want right out of the tin, and that would mean that I would be reducing the 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 you know down to maybe two or three or maybe at most five authors but i want to offer it to more authors and so we just got stuff off the shelf and kind of sewed it all together so what happened was is the algorithm was was getting back to people it was changing the status on their application but that wasn't firing an email off and we had no idea that the, that the emails had not gone until people started chasing us and then we started looking you know well you have been notified the system says you've been notified but they clearly hadn't been and so we would then have to look and so i would advise anybody who has applied do get in touch because you might get an instantaneous response and that's what's happening a lot of people are going oh what's happened what's happened and we just get back to them within within maybe five ten minutes and say yeah you you know yes no maybe sort of thing um and so you know it's, it's it is so annoying but unfortunately that's 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 a startup business isn't it you know you're never going to be 100% ready and i'd rather that we just go out into the world and we and we try to find the authors whilst we build the system we're going to build the plane while we fly it and if that scares you this isn't for you because you know this is going to be a, in startup mode for a period of time for a start and secondly you know if you think this is frustrating um this application process i can tell you as a, a, a this is nowhere near the most frustrated you're going to be whilst we build you a career as a novelist, I promise you. Because eventually 24 grand won't be enough for you. You're going to want to earn more. And the way you're going to do that is by selling books, which is going to be that you're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to slowly but surely build you an audience. And, you know, oddly, some people aren't going to want to read your books. Um, and we've got to sort of convince people who don't know anything about you that they really should know about you because you're great. And that process for you is going to be very, very, very frustrating because most authors they don't make it for a good five years or so. So, you know, if this is too long for you, if this last, you know, we're, you know, two months late on getting back to you with your application, then this might not be for you because, you know, you've got five long years, maybe 10 of quite hard work ahead of you. Uh, where you're going to be writing and coming up with stories and writing those ideas out and we're going to be getting them out to the market. It's, it's not going to be sitting on the French Riviera, I'm afraid. It is going to be working at home. You know, I don't care where you do your work. I mean, you do it how you want to do it, but, you know, it's going to make me be very clear it's going to be hard work because you're going to have to focus, get these stories plotted out, get them written, and then you're going to go through the whole editorial process. And, and that's another thing. You know, you have to learn to trust your editors. If your editors say to you, you need to do this, you need to do that, um, I would change this, you should listen to them. Because editors have seen far more books than you could even dream about, you know, in, in your wildest imaginations. And they've helped far more people than you could think of. And they've seen it all. Uh, and they know what generally, you know, generally works. And one of the things that DML does is we, we are hiring very, very good editors. And I've got to say, I am so happy with the editors that, that we brought on board. One of whom uh, was called Lisa Poisson. She is exceptionally good. 
She worked on Turner and the changes she made at first, I didn't want to do them because you know what happens, you know, you get that, that, that feedback back from your editor and you're like, oh, she doesn't understand the true genius of this work. <laughs> um, she just, just doesn't understand it. And then, you know, I've learned over the years uh, of working with many mentors and editors, that's the advantage of the method that I, I, that I went through, that you have to listen to that. You have to understand, you have to get past that. You have to put your pride back in its box and say, okay, let me just read it through her eyes. And I'll tell you what, she said, you need to change the whole way this isn't this narrative is done. You've got to do this. I just recommend this. And there were just so much red pen. And I, I took a weekend to just sort of digest it. I read over it again and again. And by Monday, I said, I, I think I get it. Is this what it is? Is this what you talk about? I was like, yeah, that's the reason. I was like, okay, so that's that bit and all this stuff. Okay, why don't you understand this? I, I just don't understand this bit. I said, fine. So you just get through it. You put your pride away and you make those changes. And I did that with Lisa and Turner. When it came out the other side, I'll tell you what, it is still the same book, basically, same story, same book. It's still my writing. It's still my voice. But, oh, my God, it is so much better. Um, there are parts of that book where it, I read them and it left me reeling. I was shaking as I was reading them because it was just so vivid and so good. And I knew it was coming. Uh, so God knows what that's going to do to anyone else who reads it. So you have to trust your editors. You've got a really good team around you. And that's what I meant when I, when I said earlier, is you've got to let that book go. You, you, especially at somewhere like Demont for Literary, your job is a very important job. It's not more important or less important than any of the other components. It's as important. It's as important as getting the right cover design. It's as important as getting the right blurb on the back of the book, as getting the right blurb that goes on Amazon and all the other shops. Okay, it took you four and a half years to write your book, and writing's a funny old thing. It's not a nine-to-five job. Some people prefer to do it in the middle of the night when the house is quiet. Some people are up early in the morning to do it. It just stri- it strikes me that you're going to have to be fairly uh, flexible, I guess, I guess, in the way that you work with authors, because it's not like it, it's not like a biscuit machine, you know, a biscuit factory or something <laughs> like that. Um, you know, so, and sometimes you might need a week just to think through the plots. You know, so thinking time is also valuable time with writing. How? How are you going to work with that? It's quite, it's, it's like trying to herd cats, isn't it, in many respects? With some people it is, but that's the whole point of psychometrics. I think the thing is, is that we're going to find the people that are going to understand how this works. That's kind of what we're doing here. We're not going to force people to work in a way they don't want to work. What, what would be the point of doing that? It's much better just to find the people who understand the way we want to work. They get it and they're going to work in that way. And They'll, they, they, they'll just will work. Now, in terms of the times of day you work, I don't care what time. I don't care if you come to the office at midday and leave at you know eight, I guess, or whatever it is. You do what you want. But there are certain things you do have to do, uh, especially if you're working with a team. With regards to, I've got to think about the plot for a week. What you're thinking about there is self-publishing mode. You're thinking about sole author mode. That, And you've got one of the things that will happen, and it will take a bit of time for the authors perhaps to just realign their, themselves, I feel, with the fact that you are not on your own when you work at DML. You are in a, in a team. And that team is there to help you, and they will help you, which means that when you're coming up with how your plot's going to work, there's a process. And you know you follow that process, and I promise you, you'll have a great plot come out the other side. It will still be your plot. It will still be your voice. It will still be your imagination, but it will just be an incredible version of it that you never thought was inside you. The idea of, oh, I don't know what to think about. The reason for that quite often is because you're spending all of your life 
just living, you're spending most of your time just living. I mean, even if you are, if you're going to work during the day, well, you know, you still have to eat, you have to tidy the house, you've got to, you know, wash your clothes um, and so on. And all of that stuff takes time and it takes energy, mental energy more than anything. And so that just detracts from your ability just to sit down and just think for a bit just relax and just think about what, what you're going to do. And there are ways of doing that. But if you've got a process you can follow, in addition to having so much more time on your hands, as well as having a team helping you, I promise you, you're going to be a lot more productive than you think you are. I think it's a very exciting concept. And I'd say I'm surprised that it hasn't been sort of received more positively than it has. I think everybody's been looking at uh, the negatives, when in actual fact, to me, it's like it's a cross between Dragon's Den for authors and Author University, uh, in that, except you don't have to pay a massive fee for the university get paid to actually attend it so yeah. it seems to me like a pretty good situation it's, it's a very good situation if you're an author i mean look i think the thing is we live in a world which has become quite cynical um and especially in uh, th- this is this is uh, an indictment I guess, on the publishing industry generally, that people are used to getting shafted and just the media business generally, people are used to getting shafted in this business. And suddenly some guy comes along and goes, I'm not going to shaft you. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you're a banker as well. What? You're gonna, <laughs> you know you're going to shaft me. And and the thing is, is that I don't blame anyone for that. And that's fine. Look, if you're, if you are, if you are concerned, if you have concerns about the program by all means do give us a call we do very often come back to people with their concerns you know about how the terms are going to look and so on although to be fair why trouble yourself with it unless you get to stage three slash you know you're going to discuss the terms um you know we're going to pay for a lawyer not our own lawyer i might add we're not going to give you the lawyer that works for dml so that you can look over the contract and tell you how great it is uh, that's obviously apart from the fact that's illegal it's immoral to go with it no we have a firm of people who are some of the the, the most incredible people they they are very well versed in media and 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 publishing and literature um legalities and they are going to explain to you what that content and you don't have to use them you know we we have a budget if you say no i don't want to use this firm because you know there's some scheme going on here well then pick your own but we're there's a limitation on the amount of money we're going to give you but you know up until that limit you can you can use whoever you like as far as i'm concerned but i would strongly advise that you use the experts that you know that we that we point you towards just simply because we know who they are i also just point out that when when people sort of say, oh, you know, they're bound to be like in on it and they're in on the take. I should just point out there is this thing called the bar in this country, uh, which is something to which all lawyers have to be a member of in order to practice. And if they were to do something underhand in the way that has been suggested, they would be disbarred. It is illegal to do that. They would be struck off and not be able to practice law and they would probably go to prison. So no, they won't. I promise you. And, you know, and take that from me or take it from the internet. You know, again, I get a bit kind of not angry exactly but put out by it because it's a bunch of people who don't really understand how a lot of this stuff works trying to suggest that they do and I know exactly how all of this stuff works because my lawyers have told me Uh, so I'm very well versed in it so I'd much prefer people have private conversations with us where we will explain to you how it all works how how the terms are likely to be structured and what's going to be going on rather than going onto the internet and just going oh this is obviously you know a big con but I'd rather did that but that's not the world we live in I think people like to just vent their vent their spleens and they do so one thing that I think we're not really okay with anymore is people venting their spleens on our webpage mm. <laughs> um you know we will i'm very much for an open discussion about dml as long as that discussion is um 
uh, is held in a cordial fashion. And if you're being sarcastic or having a go either at me or my staff, uh, I can take it, by the way, as I sort of said, I, I've got very thick skin. But that's not really the point. The reality is if you're the type of person that thinks that's a good idea, maybe you should not apply for the program because, you know, I mean, we're going to see those comments. And let's say you do make it through stages one and two. You're going to be coming in for an interview with me. And if you've been very disparaging about me, that's going to be an interview that you're not going to forget. I promise. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, again, I like to be nice with people. I'm actually genuine. Nowadays, you know, my, my days of being a sort of slightly sinister banker or whatever are, are well and truly behind me. And I'm actually quite a nice guy. And I would actually try to help you. But I just sort of think that if you're just going to be very disparaging and, and sarcastic and, and so on, you know, on our web pages, and you think that's that's a clever idea. I just sort of think, you know, maybe maybe you should think that through. And the reason why I say this is very important is remember, you're working as part of a team. You're not more important or less important. You're a partner. You're a team. And if everybody doesn't want to work with you here at the company, then I'm kind of in a bad situation there, aren't I? I'm not going to hire you. I can't rehire really somebody nobody wants to work with because <laughs> you're difficult to work with. Yeah. I mean, just think, think about that. I just... It is amazing that people think that's okay. Uh, and then they, they wonder why, you know, they're not getting not getting the roles or whatever. I don't know. I just would never even dream of doing that. But then I'm from a different era. I'm from an era before social media. So Well, well, me too, yes. And, I mean, you're representing the company if you're an author. And, therefore, you know, if you put negative well, things on social media, that's not good for the company, is it? Well, that's okay. So that's the other part of it. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because – You've got to think that you've got to think about that. If you're because you got a bit frustrated, decided to go out and rant on the Internet or, you know, call into question, you know, our motivation or or whatever. Um, and this is why you want a job with us. What are you going to be like mm. when something goes wrong and you're working for us? You know, so you're working for us and there's something goes wrong with the production or something goes wrong with you know, or you don't get on, you don't get on with your editor very well. You don't like you know the changes he, he suggested or he suggested. What are you going to do then? Just go straight on social media and start, you know, being really horrendous about us, you know, from the inside. You know what? No, thanks. Um, I'd just rather we just got someone who was going to be nice and understand that this, is a, you know, you, you need to be patient and you need to work with this team. And again, that's what Psychometrics is all about, really. It's about, um, well, it's not all about that. There's, there's a number of things. Obviously, it's about finding the right characters, but it's about, it is very much making sure that you can fit into the way that we're going to work. We're not going to make people work in a way they don't want to work. That idea is so abhorrent, it's unbelievable. I'd rather that we just select the people who understand the way we want to work very well uh, and the terms under which they're going to work in terms of, you know, IP. We never really spoke about that, actually. Um, on the IP side, technically the author actually owns the IP. Now, I know that we have stated on our website that we own the IP. Uh, and the reason I've done that is because it's a technicality. But it's an important one. You owning the IP means that you're entitled to get paid royalties, you see, but at a set rate under the contract. So that's the very important thing. Whereas if we owned the IP, um, we, would, we couldn't pay you royalties. We'd have to pay you a bonus or something along these lines. So firstly, you own the IP, but we own all of the, all of the derivatives from that, from that IP that can possibly ever be made. So um, in other words, we own the rights to those derivatives, which means that to all intents and purposes, we own your IP. It's just that technically you own them and, and that should be understood that that's kind of the way that it works so it's a difficult situation but there's a reason for that which is again you know if you owned all of your own ip then 
why would we pay you 24,000? I mean, you know, wouldn't we just say, okay, well, you can keep it and uh, we'll just license from you at this price, i.e. nothing, to publish it for you. And if we make money, we'll give you something of it. Well, that's the standard publishing model right there. So that's not different in any way. So if you want to own your IP and you don't want to give it, you don't want to give away the derivative, the derivatives of your IP, essentially, um, then this is not for you. Uh, sorry. And I'm I'm going to be fairly brutal about that, which is don't apply because we're not looking for you. We're looking for people who understand that we're not here to rip you off. You will get paid your royalties. There's not going to be any Hollywood accounting. I get, I get the whole kind of concerns about that. You have to be very careful about people kind of, you know, making a project never make money. So you never get your royalties sort of thing. Uh, I get that. Uh, that's not how it's going to work. Everything is very transparent in terms of how much everybody gets paid. This is something I actually told the, um, the Alliance of uh, Independent Authors that, but they never actually put it on the page as far as I can remember that I was saying, look, everything is transparent inside the company. Um, right down to how much I get paid, which is a very easy number, zero pounds. So, you know, cause I, again, I don't need the money, you know, so, Everything will be transparent in terms of what we paid out for your editor, what we paid out for your mentors, what we paid out for your cover design, what we paid out in production costs, what we're paying out in sales and marketing costs. It's all there and it's all done and absolutely 100% accounted for. And you'll see it and there'll be, as there is in any business, a quote that comes up up front. So you'll see what it is up front. Um, and if that looks reasonable to you, then we, we carry on, don't we? Uh, not that you have much say in it, by the way. It's just a case of, you know, so that you know we're not ripping you off. <laughs> you know, and then we proceed with, with, with what it's going to cost. That way you know it's not, wow, the creative design for the front cover cost £30,000. Uh, you know, how did that happen? Right? You will see the quote up front and you'll have that there. This is the estimated costs up front um, that you'll see before we start selling your book. So that what happens before we even start writing your book, I would probably say. Um, and so, so when your book goes on sale, once you've written it and it goes on sale, you're going to sort of, you're, you're going to know what those approximate costs are. So when the costs come in, they should be approximately matching that, maybe plus or minus a little bit here and there. So you know that if, if you get a breakout novel and suddenly you sell millions, you know, we're not going to suddenly start charging you £30,000 for the for cover design, you know, and £50,000 for your editorial and things like this. You know, that that's, that's not going to happen. You're going to know what that quote was and, you know, you're going to have that in, in written form. So, you know, that's something you could actually bash us over the head with essentially. So these are the sort of finer details that people don't know and understand. Why not? Because they haven't asked, you know, they haven't called us on, you know, they haven't asked us to explain it. Uh, and, and why would we, I mean, we're not going to come out and explain every little way in which we work, you know, for, for the, for the satisfaction of authors. If you don't, if you think we're going to rip you off, honestly, this isn't for you because, at some point when you go into business with anybody, especially if that person's giving you money and you're going to return that investment with some kind of work, there has to be some level of trust. At some point, you have to trust each other that I'm going to give you the money and that you're going to give me the work, that we're not going to try to screw each other over. And, you know, contracts will limit that scope massively of, of potential for that. I get that. So once you see the contract, you'll see, you know, exactly what you'll get yourself into. And your lawyers or, you know, hopefully the lawyers that, you know, you can use the lawyers we recommend or any you want. When you see those terms, they will explain it to you in very, very graphic and clear detail, you know, as to what you need to know about how this contract works. But just those things alone should, should really kind of give people some level of confidence. I'm not here, you know, to rip off authors as if, as if that's even possible. I mean, I'm here to help you and try to get you get your career. Because the thing is, it makes a lot of sense for us as a company 
to make you famous, to get you out there and selling millions of copies of books, not just because we make money off the books, but because it will encourage other people to join the program and it will encourage other people to, you know, to sort of follow suit. And if we have a sort of situation where, you know, you're blabbing to the press, oh, yeah, they don't pay me anything, blah, blah, blah. No one's going to want to come and work for us, are they? I do think that your your social media... I think your own writing and your own posts on social media, uh, you know, and the fact that you've set up a a, a company to encourage authors just uh, oozes enthusiasm for writing and writers. So, in five years' time, what's this going to look like? Oh, that, that's a really great question, actually, and um, because we have got such big plans, some of which I'm afraid I can't tell you about. I might have in- indicated. Um, I, I want to put in place a career path for authors, not just people who are currently present um, as trying to be authors as adults, but I really want to go into schools. And we actually are setting up um, a charity right now that will be overseen uh, properly. And it has to be run that way, in my view, for the proper oversight, which uh, we'll put some money into. And we will use that charity to go into schools and find people who could use help because um, the algorithm is still going to work and we'll, we'll run through the algorithms uh, and everything else with, 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 uh, with the kids. And we will give them money to, to take, you know, courses in literature and encourage them to, to become more literary minded with a view to sponsoring them. So once they get through uh, the school days, with a view to sponsoring them through university and either to do English literature or creative writing or, or whatever we're going to do. And, and obviously with a view after that for them to come out and have a career as an author with De Montfort Literature so that we're constantly bringing through new blood. Um, there are a lot of, there will be a lot of changes, you know, things that we have planned sort of privately. And you have to remember that, you know, as I've kind of intimated, books are not the only thing, the only format in which a story can be sold. And there are links in that, in that direction for, for DML. No question. And this should all be positive news. I remember seeing one, you know, one comment that was shocked that I'd made this comment and it was actually taken out of context um, in an interview with um, the Alliance of Self... Alliance of Independent Authors, yeah. Yeah, so they'd actually taken a comment and I said a little bit out of context, not massively, but a little bit. I basically said, we will, you know, unapologetically monetize an author's name well firstly if you're working for us you should expect us to do that because we make money you make money that's how that works uh so of course we're going to monetize you while you're working for us but in actual fact this was in the scenario that an author leaves and decides not to buy out their idea rights essentially to take them with them to themselves to the new company and you have to understand that we're paying you twenty-four thousand a year plus about six thousand pounds more in benefits like pensions holidays what have you uh, and on top of that, we're going to put another potentially fifty thousand pounds into marketing and production, up to that. So it could be eighty thousand a year, somewhere between say sixty and eighty thousand a year, over what we expect will be a ten-year period to to get any author from nothing to to being out there. So that's at least six hundred grand, possibly as much as eight hundred thousand pounds. We're going to put into your career. If now let's say that we put we get about five years in and you have a breakout, and you go from no one knows you to wow, you're making loads, you're making millions. Um, we have a right to expect that we're going to have the 500,000 pounds that we put into your career to get you into that position 
we, we have a right to expect that we'll get that paid back. And if you, if let's say, you, you know, your breakout is quite big, but not quite big enough to cover the £500,000, um, then you decide to leave because Bloomsby snaps you up or somebody like this. And, you know, you think you can get a better deal there because that's what it will mostly be about. Um, and you're not willing to discuss it with us and you don't want to buy out your, your ideas, well then, you know, we will work with you and Bloomsbury to monetize the ideas you've still got on, you've still got in our database and we'll put them out in your name. And, you know, I said, we'll do that unapologetically. Of course we will. You know, at the end of the day, if everybody just behaves themselves in, in accordance with, you know, just general sort of um, uh, niceness, if you will, uh, it will all be fine. It's only when people get really angry for, for silly reasons that, that things can go quite horribly wrong. And, you know, I want to avoid that scenario at all costs, but equally you have to be reasonable. Um, you know, we have a, we, you have to understand we're putting a lot of money to make you famous really <laughs> as an author. And, you know, I think you should understand that we're obviously going to want to have a, a repayment on that investment in you. And the, the worst part about it is, is that, and you see this happen. You see this happening in the music industry quite a lot. That these these people come out. Um, the, the music company puts a lot of money into into uh, an artist. They become suddenly very famous, and now the artist wants to you know get a much better deal, um, because of course it was the genius of their music that got them where they are, and nothing to do with the hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds of marketing money that went into their career. Um, you know, and and you have to remember that it's. Like I said, you have an important job at the company DM, as DML, um, which is to write the stories. But it is not the uh, it is not the most important. It's not the least. It's the same. It's as important as every other facet uh, of every other role that happens at DML. You are coming on board DML as a partner, you know, and that's a partner with our marketing team, with our sales team, even a partner with me. And if you're going to partner with me, you know, and I'm going to put this money into your career to to make you famous or however you want to see it. Um, you know, I'm going to be very rigorous about who I'm going to select. And and again, that takes me back to the disparaging comments. I mean, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we've had so many people apply. And I can always assure you that at some point, there'll always be somebody about as good as you, no matter where you are in that list. Okay. So unless you are clearly number one, you can't afford to be disparaging because there'll always be somebody out there who's either as good as you or better, who's been very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just think that through. Mm. I, I don't know what to say. Anyway. Well, look, um, we've been talking for almost an hour, so I, I want to congratulate you again on getting your first book out. That's a major milestone for any author. So congratulations on that. I wish you the very best of luck with it. And I'm so interested to see what happens with De Montfort Literature. You know, it really is a brave new world. It's a fascinating new way to go about it. So I, I wish you all the best with that as well. Okay, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Paul. That was Jonathan De Montfort, the author of Turner, which is released today, and the founder of De Montfort Literature. Now you'll find my five extra questions with Jonathan over at my Patreon account. Just head for patreon.com forward slash Paul Teague if you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast and give the extra interview segment a listen. I'll have another author diary for you on Saturday the 27th of October and my next guest on Monday will be John Evans who co-writes military sci-fi novels with his brother. Now John is managing to generate a reliable monthly income from his books only a couple of months after publication and he passes on some really good tips as to how he's achieved this. So have a great week of writing. I'll see you on Saturday. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. 
In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week. Hi, it's Paul Teague here with an extra bit at the end of the interview. This show has created a lot of interest in the DML model, but there is clarification that Jonathan is keen to add in based upon follow-up questions that have been asked. Now, the key question relates to author's IP or intellectual property, and that basically means who owns what. Some people have raised concerns about what IP means within the DML model, particularly does DML own an author's characters and worlds? The answer directly from Jonathan is no. De Montfort Literature only owns plot lines and stories. If I receive any more clarification questions, I'll be very happy to add them in here. So you just need to scroll to the last five minutes of the show to catch them. You could always, of course, check out at De Montfort Lit on Twitter or Facebook if you want to speak directly to the DML team.